Good evening, good evening. How you guys doing? Good to be with you tonight. Uh, before we kick off, I've got a video that I want to start for you guys, and it's very pertinent to our, our conversation tonight. So Ryan, you can go ahead and start that video. Greatness, it's just something we made up. Somehow we've come to believe that greatness is a gift reserved for a chosen few, for prodigies, for superstars. And the rest of us can only stand by watching. You can forget that. Greatness is not some rare DNA strand. It's not some precious thing. Greatness is no more unique to us than breathing. We're all capable of it. All of us. Some people are told they were born with greatness. Some people tell themselves. Thanks, Ryan. You can stop it right there. You know that word greatness, we, we think about greatness as a path, and each one of us wants to walk on that path, but we never really think that greatness for those two young boys looks like it looks for them. That greatness for the young man meant that he would have only one functioning arm, but yet he would still figure out what is his greatness and what is his race. You know, that, that kid that doesn't look like the typical runner running down that country road by himself was walking in his moment of greatness. And for him, that's what greatness looked like for him. For him to get up that morning, for him to strive, for him to push, that was his greatness. And here tonight, all of us are running a race. We're running a race that God has called us to run because it's a race of greatness where we get to display his glory, his wonder, and his power through our lives. And in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about this race, and it's a familiar passage, but I want to read it for us tonight. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For it is the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Tonight we're going to talk about four, four points of race. And so if you think about those letters R-A-C-E, there's four points that I want to really hone in on uh, tonight. The R stands for remembering. Remember. There's a remembrance that we're called to as saints of God, of remembering his faithfulness, remembering his goodness, but also remembering all of the saints of old that have also ran their race and ran it so well. We open up our word and we're inspired and we're encouraged by the saints of old, whether it's David or Joseph or Esther or Ruth. There are saints that have gone on before us that have walked, that have ran their race of perseverance. And here it talks, it says to us, don't, don't forget you're surrounded by not a small, not a minimal, but a large large cloud of witnesses. In some translations, it even uses the word throng. But it reminds us that we are to be people of great faith. See, before the chapter that I just read is, is Hebrews 11, which is known as the faith chapter. 
It talks about all the great men and women of God that have, have walked, that have endured through the steps of, of faith. And when they talk about that word witness, actually in, in the Greek, it, it, it denotes several things. It actually talks about witness, and sometimes it's also called a martyr. But the word witness means three different things. It's used in an ethical sense. It's used in a, in a legal sense. But it's also used, of course, in a historical sense. And so a lot of times we think of the word witness as somebody that is, that is watching something. And certainly that's part of what this word means in the Greek context. But it also means witness as in somebody that is witnessing, testifying to something. So in here, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer Paul is encouraging us, run your race because there are other witnesses that are not just watching, but they are testifying to your race of faith. They are validating your race of faith. They are saying, you can do it. You can run this race in the same manner that we did through Jesus Christ and the power and his strength. And so today, as we run our Hebrews 12 race, this year, know that there are saints, men and women have gone on before that in the heavenlies are testifying, saying, yeah, Mimi, you could do this. Yeah, you could do this, Bob. Yeah, they're encouraging you, saying, you can do this. And I don't know about you, but there's many times in the race of my life, I've said, I'm done. <laughs> I, I ain't got no more. I'm quitting, and this is it. But to know that there are those that have gone on before us that are cheerleading us, that are validating us, that have the credibility. The credibility to say, no, I see who you are in Christ, and I'm encouraging you. Um, I, I played uh, basketball in college and uh, loved playing um, college sports and played in high school and all of that. And throughout middle school and high school and college, um, I would date girls. So I had girlfriends. And it was very interesting, the dynamic of girlfriends that I would date. Um, some were uh, cheerleaders. They were cheerleaders for basketball. And they knew the whole, like, R-E-B-O-U-N-D, uh, you know, they knew the cheers. But then after the game, that's where it stopped. They had no idea of how to process me being a point guard and what I did in the game and, like, the momentum, the momentum. You mean something switched? I didn't even know. They just weren't aware. And then in college, I met my wife. And um, one of the, there's a lot of things that are amazingly attractive about my wife. One of those things was she played basketball. So when I would talk to her after a game or process with her, she was on my, my level. She could talk about, like, man, you let him beat you, like, three different times. What do you think was going on? I'm like, yeah, you're right. Ooh, I gotta she could talk my language. So because of her experience, because of her past, because of what she had walked through, she could validate me in a completely different way. And so know that when we are running our race, that the saints of old in Hebrews 12, the great people of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, are validating you in the same way. They're saying, you can do this because we have done it. When you run your race, you, you want people that validate you that have also ran the race. So my sister-in-law, she um, is a huge marathon runner, has ran like nine of them, did Boston. And we were there for Boston because that's a really big deal. When you qualify for Boston, that's like, ooh, that's, that's a moment, right? And so we're there at Boston, and what you, you do strategically when people are running a race, you don't just wait at the finish line. Like, that's cute and all that, but after you just ran 26.2, you need a little something before that, right? You need a little love before that. So you strategically station yourselves, you know, maybe, hey, where do you think you're going to struggle? Where there's a big hill on mile eight, so I need you guys right there at mile eight. And then I'm going to probably hit the wall, mile 22. And so you just kind of like, okay, we're going to run ahead. And you kind of, you plan it out. 
Well, one thing that I noticed is that there's those Gatorade stations and all that at the marathons, right? And you're handing people Gatorade, come on, you can do it and all that. Can you imagine at the station, there's like eight people eating Whoppers, shakes, sitting there severely, oh, you can do it. Keep on going. I'm sure it's not, right? But I wonder how many times in our lives do we have witnesses that are actually here around us that can't validate us because they're not on the spiritual journey, but we continue to surround ourselves with them because they somehow make us feel good or look good. But they're not the right witnesses in our life to validate who we are or the race or the journey that we're on. See, God will bring people into your life in different seasons of your life. Some people that you had in a different season of your life can't come with you into the new season. They're not willing to make the sacrifice. They haven't spiritually matured. They're not of benefit to you. And so I wonder what witnesses here tonight are in your life that you say, man, I'm really not running my race really well because these are the people that are witnessing or testifying to my life. Who are those people? And so when we think about the, the, the verse where it says, therefore, we are surrounded by such a, a cloud of witnesses. If you actually research that word, a cloud, it's, it's not this perfectly shaped thing. It's not perfectly rectangular or square. It's kind of like a, you know, like a it's, a, it's a little bit of a glob, if you will. It's a cloud of witnesses. So it's just like a cloud, right? Here's what I think when you think about that is everywhere we look in the Bible, God uses sometimes the most unqualified people. They don't look perfect. They don't act perfect. They don't smell perfect. They don't do perfect. They're the most jacked up people you would think God would never, ever use the son of Jesse that's out in the field taking care of nasty sheep. He's short. He's ready to the point where his own father didn't even validate him, remember? And then when, Jesse, when Samuel came looking, Jesse's like, oh, yeah, I guess I do have one more illegitimate jacked up son. And God's like, yeah, that's the one I've been waiting for. And so these cloud of witnesses are just like us. So many of them tripped up and yet still finished. We think about David that who committed adultery and murder, and yet he finished. John the Baptist, who had um, probably a very weird and quirky personality, eating locusts, he finished. John Mark was a quitter, and he finished. Mary, the prostitute, guess what? She finished. The great preacher, Jonathan Edwards, who got kicked out of his own church, by the way, he finished. Job, who suffered so much, he finished. Stephen, who was hated and stoned, he finished. Amy Carmichael, great writer, author, she finished. All of these people, the most least likely, finished their race, and they cheer us on tonight. R is for remembering. Remember, you are never, never, it's never too late. You're never disqualified from running your race. And the scripture says that we fix our eyes on who? Jesus. Until he says so, until he says your race is over, no one else can disqualify you or say your race is over. So R is for remember. A is for all in. All in. Playing sports uh, my whole life and coaching sports as well. If you showed up halfway, you showed up with half intensity, if you showed up half prepared, that was almost a guarantee you were going to get beat. Because if you're not mentally engaged, you're not emotionally engaged, you're not spiritually engaged, it's a perfect setup for defeat. If we're going to run our race, we have to be all in. And I know if you're anything like me here sitting tonight as believers, we're like, well, I love Jesus and I, I want him to be my everything and I'm singing, I surrender all. But truthfully for me, there's many areas of my life that I am not all in. And God is convicting me this year of what things do I need to let go to say I want to be all in to run my race. James 1, 2, 3, 4 says this, count it all joy. 
which just that right there, like all joy, like this is joy. <laughs> well, let's keep going on. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. See, I don't want to hear that. Like, what do you mean? I want joy, but you mean to get like all joy? I've got to go through trials? Meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, oh, now we got to take tests? I don't like tests either. But the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. I want steadfastness. I want the benefit and the fruit of that. I want the resilience. I want the perseverance. I want the faith. But that part before about the trials and the testing, can we kind of circumvent? There's no circumventing. That's the only way to steadfastness. And let that steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the process to get to completion, maturity, lacking nothing in Christ, in running our race, goes through testing, steadfastness, trials of every kind. That, that's the progression of this race. That's the progression of faith that leads to steadfastness, that leads to this complete maturity. That's running the race. You're not going to get there unless you're all in. Let's keep going. Jesus, as the greatest example of running a race, by the way, <laughs> that's why we fix our eyes on him, because he's like the number one guy, number one runner. Matthew 16, he's talking to his disciples. He's getting ready to talk to them about, hey, this has been great. We've been healing people. We've been walking on water. Yeah, we fed 5,000 people, but now my time has come, and I, I, I must go and die. Oh, boy, we thought you were going to be Messiah, the king of rescue, and then, then this is how it's looking. So he says, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples in Matthew 16 that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter, great Peter, took him aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that, dude? Like, I'm Peter, I'm about to rebuke Jesus. And he does, saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. So he's telling Jesus, like, yo, dude, this isn't your race. Like, what you did before, like, all that amazing stuff, that's part of your race. But this part, the hard part, the trials, the difficulty, this can't be your race. Think about that, guys. How many people in our lives, when things start to go really, really hard, say, man, this isn't your race. You need to bow out. You need to check out. You need to step off the sideline. Like, you really shouldn't tackle this. You really shouldn't have this hard conversation. You really shouldn't dig deep on this. You really shouldn't confront. How many people say that? Peter turns to Jesus himself and says, this isn't your race. But then, of course, Jesus turns to Peter in the classic scripture, which many of us know. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you, listen to this part. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but you're setting your mind on the things of man. How profound is that statement in running our race? As we look to the number one runner, that when we put our our mind on the things of God, we run, our, we run our race no matter how difficult it is. No matter how hard we run our race. But when I fix my eyes on the things of man, everybody and their mother comes up with every excuse that I shouldn't do something in my life. You shouldn't forgive. You shouldn't do this godly thing. You shouldn't take this step of faith. But when I focus on Jesus, the author and perfecter, all of a sudden the things of God propel us to move in a different way. Then he goes on to say this. Then Jesus told his disciples, which this is the classic scripture, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's running your race. 
You got to be all in. Jesus talks about denying yourself, giving up of yourself to get your life, to run your race. And he's the greatest example of this before he grows, goes to the cross. Anyone running their great race will make sacrifices. We follow the example of Jesus as the pioneer and perfecter of our faith in these three ways. First of all, he lays the foundation of faith for us. So Jesus himself, by going to the cross, enduring, enduring the shame and the scorn of the cross, lays the foundation for us. So we walk in freedom, no condemnation. We walk in eternal security because of what he did on the cross. So first of all, he lays the foundation for us. Second, he's the perfect model and example of running our race. We, we just talked about that, right? So Jesus himself, going to the cross for us, sets the example of finishing. He finished, and then he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Got his trophy, said, Father, <laughs> mic drop, we're done. Greatest example of, of running the race. And then third is this, is that he is the sustainer of giver of everything that we need to run our race with faith. It all starts with him. It all starts by fixing our eyes upon him. So third thing is, he is the giver and sustainer of our faith from start to finish. If we're not in all in on our race of life, guys, and, and many of you know this, um, life's going gonna, gonna to chew you up and spit you out. That's just the way it works. Those who are all in are going to survive. Those who are all in are going to receive their promise. Those who are all in are going to receive the fullness of God. I want to make sure you guys know, it doesn't matter where you are in your race. Some of us, let's be honest, we're in the fourth quarter of our race. Some of us feel like, oh, I'm just starting my first quarter. Some of us are kind of in the middle. And if you're anything like me, there's been many times that I've tripped up and said, man, i got to get in on a different track. This, this track is too hard. God's like, you can go ahead and try a different track, but you're the fulfillment of my destiny for you is like on this track. The one with all the obstacles, the one with all the hardships, the one with all the, yeah. And you're not disqualified. You're not out of this race. You're never out of this race when you train with me. You're never out of this race when you run with me in faith. So Ryan, you can roll uh, video two, and let's watch this video. It's a little blurry, but I think you guys will get the point. The 600 meter underway, Heather Dornard in Minnesota finished second this event a year ago. She was in lane four. And Dornan is probably going to be your favorite. She actually won the NCAA championships in 2006 in the 800, but she only won one Big Ten championship in the two years. Three laps in this event, 600 meters, three times around the 200 meter track here at the field house. What a bold move by Fallon. She's looking very confident, and the Penn State runner is just running amazing today. She did win her heat in the 400, but ended up taking fourth overall. That's Fondor moving into the lead, a sophomore from Penn State. Dornan in running second. Dornan last year scored 23 points for the Golden Gophers in their Big Ten Championship, so they're really relying on getting a lot of points from her this weekend, and she's just coming by Fondor now in the home stretch, heading into the bell lap. Gordon falling down gets up quickly, but that's going to cost her. Lucky she wasn't injured. Her teammate just went to the front, though, so they may be able to recover from that. And Gordon is flying down the back she stretch. Is she catching is catching up. She is going to catch Fondor, and she may catch the leader. Wow. But she's got fun. This is a gutsy effort by Gordon. Can't you pull it off? She's 
pretty amazing, right? Yeah. I always get fired up when I see that video. You know, I wonder how many people in our life, I wonder how many of the witnesses are watching us right now. I wonder what stories in this room, uh, people around you are saying, man, he fell down. He's not going to win. The race is over. Do you, do you see what happened in her life? There's no way she can now win. But I wonder what Jesus, what God the Father and Holy Spirit are up there saying as you get back up. I wonder if Jesus himself, <laughs> come on, is like, get up, son. Get up, daughter. Yeah, watch, watch what they can do because I've known for 20 years the perseverance and the grit that they've used in life. I know when people walked out on them 10 years ago that they somehow got back up and prepared them for this moment of life that when they were down and people said they can't get up, they've done the work. And I know right now they're going to get up. I know that in the intimate place with me that they were in their scriptures at 4 a.m. when everybody else was sleeping. I know right now that in the secret place, my son knows my voice. And when I say get up, He's getting up. I wonder who right now around us needs us to get up off the track because our sons and our daughters are looking at us and saying, my dad can't get up from this. My mom can't get up from this. And 20 years from now, they're going to face something that they think they can't get up from, and they're going to remember Now, my dad got up from that broken relationship. When my dad lost his job, when my dad didn't, whatever the situation is, he got up, and I know I can get up. See, that girl, she didn't just train for one week and decide, you know, I think I'm going to run a race. There's been a lot of races she's lost and she's won. There's been a lot of times she's had to talk to herself. There's been a lot of times she's had to train harder than other people. And if you're going to run your race the way that God has called us to run our race of faith, then we're going to have to do things that other people don't want to do, which means, you know what? Yeah, we're going to have to memorize Scripture. We're going to have to get up early, be in his presence, worship differently. We may have to be the crazy person dancing in the back. If that's what God calls you to do, then do it. But that's what all in looks like. It looks just like that. You know, to run our race, though, and to be all in means that we've got to throw off some things. And the scripture tells us that, that we have to throw off every sin that so easily entangles and the weight that so easily hinders. And so the C in race, it's going to be a little funny, but it's chuck it. Right? You guys know what I mean by chuck it? Sometimes you just gotta you just gotta chuck something. You just gotta throw it away. You just gotta chuck it. Alright? So the C is chuck it. What that means is throwing off sin means you gotta throw it off. That's literally what it what it means. Okay? Running, running your race. The definition of sin when you when you break it down in the Greek, it means some of these things. To miss the mark. Alright? So a lot of times we think, oh, sin and, and separation from God, yeah, that, that's a large part of it. And the, the blood of Jesus has covered that. But there's also this part of, like, the more that we're in sin, the more we're missing the mark. And the more we're hitting the mark, the more we don't even want to be in sin. The more we're walking in our purpose of what God's called us to, sin is so less appealing. appealing. It means to be mistaken. It means to miss or wander from the path of righteousness and honor. To do or go wrong. So obviously it means that as well. To wander from the law of God, to violate God's law. Here's something I learned. It means also to be without a share. Lack of inheritance. Think about that. So when we're operating in sin, we're not getting our shares. We're not getting our inheritance. Literally, it's the opposite of that. 
So it says to throw off, throw off the things that so easily beset. In the King James, it uses the word beset, B-E-S-E-T, which actually means to retard, to stop running. So when, when we're struggling with sin or a weight that is upon us, we actually cannot run the race that God has called us to run. And so it means, it means to chuck it, chuck it, get, get rid of it. And some of us in this room, man, when we drop the weight of our sin or, or the weight of our weight, it's going to be incredible. I ran um, a couple of Spartan races. Anybody ever heard of Spartan? It's like the mo- most ridiculous torture you would ever. It's stupid. Don't do it. Um, no, it's very hard. But uh, there's this challenge in, uh, where you have to have, have five-gallon like Home Depot bucket. And, of course, you're already like on mile seven. They take you up hills and down hills. And you've got to fill this bucket with rocks. Okay, So it's got all these pebbles and rocks. And those buckets are pretty heavy when you fill them up with rocks. And so anytime you're working in your yard or whatever, we've all had buckets and buckets of rocks. We typically, if you're like me, I put them on my shoulder and then I carry them, right? Well, you got to go up these hills, which are about a mile long, and they make you carry it like this. So you got to carry this bucket the whole time like this. So you can imagine the pressure that's on your back as you're climbing up rocks and all of that. And by the time you get done, there is no one that is gently, kindly, prettily, setting their bucket. Oh, let me set my bucket down so no rocks spill. Oh, no. You're like, ah, get out of here, bucket. You throw that bucket because it's freaking heavy. It's heavy. It's a weight. You're, you can't even move with that thing. You're cramping up your back. Every time you put it on your shoulder, there's like a marshal saying, no, nobody on the shoulder. You got to carry it like that. And it's the same way for us in our spiritual lives. How many of us right now are carrying around a five-gallon Home Depot bucket full of sin, let's not even say sin, full of just weights, things, you know what, it's not inherently wrong, but it's keeping you from your best with God. It's standing in the way of joy. It's standing in the way of peace. It's standing in the way of patience. It's standing in the way of self-control. There's a lot of things, guys, that, you know what, they're just not, they're not bad. It's not bad to necessarily binge watch movies on a Friday on Netflix. But is God saying, like, you know what? I want less movies this year. And I want more me time. It, it could be something as simple as that. It could be food. It could be whatever is an idol in your life that God should be sitting on that throne. Take that off and put him on that throne. So think about that. Think about what are those things that are just like, hey, this is not beneficial in my life. It's in the way of greater faith, in the way of greater love, in the way of greater purity. It could be greater courage. could be greater humility. What's that? What's that weight? My wife, um, every once in a while, will demand that I watch a show that she has discovered on TV or Netflix or something. And so when I was away on a business trip just the last uh, week, she's like, oh my goodness, you have to watch this show. This is my wife's voice. It's amazing. It's going to change our lives. I'm like, okay, what is it? So she texts me, it's this Marie Kondo. Anybody ever heard of her? Okay. Yeah. So it's this new show that's on Netflix. Um, this is a Japanese woman, out, obviously out of Japan. Um, she's like all the rave. She comes in your home. It's like a reality show. She comes in your home and helps you organize your house. And yeah, it's this crazy system that she has. It, 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 it changes, like, the dynamic of homes. Like, she'll walk in, and, and you, she'll say, okay, I want you to take all your clothes out of your closet and put it on the bed. And people are like, 
I never knew I had this many clothes. Like, it's to the ceiling. But when you first walk in their house, you can't see it. You don't, you don't know. It's because it's all behind closed doors, everything. Their house looks great. I'm like, why is she even here? Go home, Marie. We don't need you. The house looks awesome. That's what I'm thinking. Then all of a sudden, they start opening up closets, and you're like, oh, that looks like my closet. This is hitting close to home. But what happens is people start identifying with, you know what? I don't really need this. Or if this was beneficial in my life before, but I don't, I don't need it anymore. And always at the end of the show, they talk about several things. They talk about newfound freedom. They talk about an incredible peace in their home. There's always uh, an incredible amount of relational stability that's restored. Because all those things that were distractions, all those things that were problems in the marriage or relationship, are, they're like now gone. And there's this incredible clarity and joy that shows up. Jesus wants to be your Marie Kondo. <laughs> let's just say it like that. He wants to say, hey, let's look at some of these things. I love you. It's not even a condemnation thing. This isn't a like, you, you, you're so bad. It's like, my daughter, I have so much more for you. Can we just sit and take a look at some of these things? Like, if we just work on this or get rid of this, oh, don't you know what's on the other side of it? That weight. He wants to get rid of the weight. If you're anything like me, sometimes I look to my own resources and I say, God, I've tried it before. I, I, it doesn't work. And the times that I do that, I'm like Peter, keeping my eyes focused on human things. But when I keep my eyes focused on Jesus, it stays on God things, and he speaks to the shame, he speaks to the lies, he speaks to the past failure, and says, son, I've, I've forgotten that. My, my blood has covered that. Like, that's not even who you are. This is who you are. Let's walk together in this. Keeping my eyes focused on him says, I have all the resources. I have all that I need in Christ Jesus, going back to him being the author and perfecter of our faith. Here's something really important. Runners, they run with a, a very clear vision of the finish line. They start with a very, a very clear goal of where they're going, how they're going to get there. And so if you've ever seen track, I used to um, coach track. Uh, when you're doing the 100 meters, especially because the staying in the blocks is incredibly important. So the blocks are those things that are right there on the starting line, and you lock in. Um, and typically, the runners, you know, they're on the line, their heads are down, all of that. And when you teach sprinters, at least this is how we taught them, was the first steps out of the block, that head is down. You're coming up out, and you're feeling good. Until you get up to full sprint. And then what I've told them is before the gun goes off, you need to look at what your mark is at the end of that line. Because when you come up, your head needs to hit that target. You need to be able to see that spot, and then boom, just lock in. Now, if that spot's to the left or to the right, what's going to happen? I'm going to go out of my lane. I'm not going to. I can't run as fast unless I'm locked in on that spot. It's the same way in our spiritual life. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to give us a vision of where he wants to take us this year. Because once we get that vision, all of a sudden, it brings incredible clarity to the things that we should let go of. But the problem is, is if we don't have that vision, if we don't have that thing in sight, everything else becomes a distraction and we don't know what to focus on and what not to focus on. So getting a clear vision of who God wants us to be, who he's called us to be, especially this year, will help you determine what sin we need to throw off and what weight we need to chuck. So C is chuck it. And then E is exceptional. Exceptional. When we run our race the way God has called us to run our race with him, we're going to live lives that are exceptional. Ephesians 2.10 says this, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
So he's, he's already prepared these works bef- beforehand, before us. And they're exceptional works. They're not normal. They're not average. It's specific for you, specific for me. The works that he has for me is not the same as the work he has for Jane. There are different works that he's prepared in advance for us. The flip side is the enemy will try to get us to think that the plans and the race that God has for us is insignificant. Your race, your race isn't like so-and-so's race. Must not be an important race. And Jesus is like, woo-hoo, this race is really important. You can't yet see it. You don't understand why I need you to run this lane. I created you to run this race. I created you to run it with me. But the enemy wants to focus on the insignificant part or get us to believe that lie. If we're running our race, looking behind, so if I'm supposed to run this way, but I'm continually doing this, it's not going to take me too long in my race before I crash and burn. We're not meant to run our race looking behind. But there's been many times in my past that I have ran my race looking back at past hurts, past events, past situations, and one or two things happen. Either I stand still, and I'm no longer running, which is really hard to do with the father, because I'm just standing still, and he's like, come on, come on, come on, run with me. So I'm paralyzed, or I trip and fall in a hole, or I get hurt, because we're meant to run. We're meant to run with the Father. God says, yeah, I know that happened, but let's keep running. Let's keep running, because there's healing as we keep running. There's distance from your past as we keep running. Don't you understand the future? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that, because I work together all things for the good of those who love me. So that's going to teach you. That's going to prepare you for the future, but we got to keep, we got to keep running. That's what he's saying to us here tonight. And so in order to talk about our past, in order to keep running, we do have to respect the low points in our life. I'm not saying don't gloss over them. I'm not saying don't pretend that they're not there. So respecting the low points in your life, that's going to lead to greater achievements and greater highs. And the key is focusing on being present in the darkness. Um, because sometimes our tendency is, well, I want to I wanna numb out. I don't want to feel this. Uh, this is too... This is too painful. The low is too low, so i got to do something. I don't want to sit in this pain. But Jesus wants to sit with us in it, right? Amen? He wants to sit with us in it. And if we allow him to sit with us in it, it's going to leave, lead to greater achievement and greater successes. Do you know this? Um, scientists have said, guesstimated, that the chances of you being you, so born to the mom and dad that you were born um, to, where you were born, when you were born, male, female, all those things that had to happen, which there's a lot of things going on. We're not going to get into biology, but there's a lot that had to happen for you to be you. The chances are one in 400 trillion. Not million, not bill, trillion. And I see kids all the time. In my past, dealing with kids that say this, this line, and maybe you've said it as well, I'm a mistake. Wow. Just grab, that's not happenstance. That just doesn't happen. That you are who you are, where you are, when you are, how you are. It's all ordained by a God that is mighty, that is wonderful, and it's just like, I created this one to show off my glory, my splendor, my wonder in such a unique way, in her unique way. I created him to be 
exceptional. But the, the problem is, is that when we think our lives are insignificant or we want to live somebody else's life. We want to run somebody else's race. See, I, I'm just like, you know what? Oh, man, I like, I like Chip's race. I think I'm going to come over here and try to run his race. Guess what? I'm going to blow out a hamstring. I'm going to twist an ankle. I'm going to blow up my life because I'm not called to run Chip's race. I, I can't run Chip's race. I'm not Chip. But he can. How he's wired, how God speaks to him, what God's called him to do, he's uniquely gifted for that. Before the race starts, the, the, the official says something. He's like, runners, on any mark you want, pick a mark. No. He says, on what? Your mark. Your mark. Which means there's a specific lane, specific assignment for each and every one of us. Satan, man, he was number one worshiper in heaven. You know what was his undoing? He wanted to be greater. Comparison. Comparison is one of the number one evils that we deal with in the kingdom of God. You don't, I mean, you don't think I'm right, just check out Instagram, Twitter. Every pastor wants to be somebody else's pastor, and if I wear this, then I can be like Pastor Stephen Furtick, and if I talk like T.D.J., ah, then I'm going to, I mean, it just goes on, right? We all want to be somebody else except Torrance. But the best Torrance is standing right here. There's nobody else that can be a better me. I'm the only one. I can't be a Paula. I can't be a Chris. I can try, but I can't be a Chris Waterman. I'll never be a Chris Waterman. Only Chris Waterman can be a Chris Waterman. And that's the same message to you. Jesus is like, I didn't make a mistake. I knew exactly what I was doing. I made you the way I made you. And yeah, some of those things that people find annoying about you, I actually love. Embrace it. This is part of who I've called you to be. So run on your mark. God has already equipped us with everything we need for the race. Everything we have, he's, he's already given it to us. I talked about my sister-in-law that she runs marathons, and there's an incredible amount of preparation that goes into running marathons, and you run for weeks and weeks on end. And, and let me tell you, before a race, she doesn't check once, twice. She checks probably about 20 times to make sure she has everything she needs. Do I have my vitamins? Do I have my running shoes? Do I have extra socks? Do I have blah, blah, blah? The list goes on and on and on. She makes sure she has everything she needs to be equipped to run her, her race. It's her race. And here's the thing. You never know when you're going to need your equipment. You might think, like, I don't really need this. It's been mile 20. All of a sudden, you need toilet paper because you, you got to go to the bathroom. You never know. Right? You never know when your race is going to turn. You never know that when you are authentically you, when God's going to say, uh-uh, this is the moment. Your faithfulness, your steadfastness, this is the moment. Marie Callender, she's a woman um, that uh, once I get down the story, you'll recognize probably who she is. But um, she uh, was a single mom trying to raise kids, and she was a, a waitress in kind of one of those greasy diners. Just one of those, those places that we've all seen, you know, tucked away on the side of the road. And um, the owner wasn't doing real well. So he went to Marie. He's like, hey, listen, I know you really need this job, but we're going to close down because we're, business is just really struggling. If things don't turn around in a matter of like two weeks, we got to shut this, this thing down. And she's like, I, I have to have this job. I've got, you know, kids at home when I'm a single mom. 
And she's thinking to herself, well, what can I do? So she goes up to the manager, and she's like, hey, listen, is there any way I know things are really hard? Is there any way I could sell, um, just sell uh, pieces of my pie for, uh, for people? Maybe we can make some money doing that. He's like, okay, whatever. We're shutting down the doors. So I don't care what you do. So the next day, she brings in one of her pies, 12 slices, and she starts selling these pieces of pie. All 12 pieces go that day. People come back later. They're like, hey, do you get any more of Marie's pie? Next day, she comes back with one pie. They buy all pieces of her pie, so much that she actually had to go back home and make more pies. Three days later, customers are like, hey, we want, we want some slices of Marie pie, but actually, we want a whole pie. Like, is there any way you could make a whole pie, Marie? So Marie starts making whole pies and selling whole pies at the greasy diner that never sold pies. Now, all of a sudden, Marie, over time, makes enough money to actually get her own convection oven in her house. She puts her own oven in her house and starts making pies after pies after pies and turns around that whole diner. Now Marie Callender owns over 140 stores across America that not only, interesting enough, sell pie, but they also sell a bunch of other stuff. But people love it for her pie. One lady with her gifting, she could make pies. I don't know if she was a communicator. I don't know if she could sell cars, but she could make pie. She stuck to her gift. She stayed in her lane. She ran her mark, and she was exceptional at it. There was a work that God had prepared for her in advance. And don't you think it would have been ridiculous if somebody came up to Marie and said, Marie, you shouldn't make any pies. That's a dumb thing. That's insignificant. Why would you run a race selling pies? And Marie's like, yeah, you're right. Why would I sell pies? We would never have Marie Calendar. And so to those people who are not the witnesses that need to be in your corner, that need to be silenced, think about what we said before. Who are those people that right now need to be in your corner because they're saying, yeah, yeah, you make pies. Make some pies, girl. Or you do this. Do that. Discipline, guys, is the key to walking in our exceptionality. Discipline. Um, one of the things that God's showing me in my, in my life is the amount of inconsistent speech that I participate in. And here, let me give you an example of that. There's days, hours, minutes, that I am like, man, I am righteous. I am a child of God. I am his son. I am powerful in him. And then it doesn't seem like it could be the next five minutes. Something happens. Something doesn't go my way. I didn't like how somebody talked to me. And then it's like, oh, I have the worst life ever. I'm not smart. I can't believe I'm here. I've made too many mistakes. God can't. It just goes on and on and on. So it goes back to taking every thought captive, right? And bring it into the obedience, bringing it subject to what does God's truth say about me? So the discipline of going after inconsistent speech. Also, what do we let people speak over us? Because a lot of times people will speak things over us that we need to say, you know, I don't receive that. Because sometimes in our silence, it actually gets into our spirit, into our soul, into our mind. And we, t- we take it on unknowingly, but we take it on. So just literally that active step of faith of I don't receive that. So inconsistent speech, we need to go after that. Because we cannot speak words of victory when our mouths are filled with words of defeat. We cannot speak words of victory when our mouths are filled with words of defeat. Here's a really, really big um, point that I want to kind of just leave you guys with. Is tonight and over the next week, just as we press into this, ask Holy Spirit, what is the race that you're called to run? What, what is the, the, the race that he said, this is, this is yours. This is you when you're on your mark. 
And it can be different right now in the season, right? There's different ways. He's like, ah, this is a sprint. I need you to sprint. Oh, we're going a longer distance. So slow down. Let's pace. But as long as we're running together, what, what is that? But ask yourself this question. Ask yourself, where would you love to be? God's placed dreams, desires. He speaks of that in our heart. And so when you're alone and you really dream and think, oh, I would love to be here. Usually, that's a desire that God has deposited in you. If you really get quiet and you get in tune with him, he'll reveal that stuff. I would really love to do this. And then there's another word that comes right after it that's very powerful. I would love to do this, but. I would love to do this, but my husband doesn't support me. I would love to do this, but we don't have enough finances. I would love to do this, but I'm the wrong color. I would love to do this, but I have failed too many times. I would love to do this, but I'm divorced. Whatever the but is, is where God wants to meet you. He wants to meet you in your place of the but. Wherever your but is, that's where God wants to meet you. Because in your butt is where he's like, mm-hmm, this is where I specialize. This is where I get the glory. This is where people said, you can't do it. Okay, it's in the butt that I'm like, this is where I'm going to show up. You think your, your marriage is going to stop you because you're fighting with your husband or you're fighting with your wife? Yeah, I'm, watch me bring healing to this. Watch as you say, like, I'm fixing my eyes on you, Jesus. You're the author. I'm running with you. Okay. You don't think that because of money situation that I can't redeem your financial situation? Like, I've given you the desire. I've said this is your destiny, and you're hung up on a butt? I want to come to where your butt is and redeem where it is. So pay attention to that. I would love to do this. I'd love but. And then lastly, guys, is we're all going to experience pain in life. We all are. Anybody in here experience pain? Or is it just me? Okay. I thought so. I'm not alone. We're all going to experience pain, no matter what. But in running our race, we have a decision of, are we going to have the pain of regret? Or are we going to endure the pain of discipline? Because to be exceptional in our lives, it's going to take us leveling up. Every athlete, Michael Phelps, all these gold medals that he won. Every year, he's got to do something different. He's got, he's got to do it better. He's got to step up. Steph Curry, all these guys, all the great King David. You don't think that after committing adultery and murder of Uriah, he didn't have to get disciplined and level up? That God's like, hey, man, we got to go to some deeper places because there's a race that I need you to finish. So I wonder this year, what are those deeper places that God is calling us to saying, I want you to endure the pain of discipline so that you can run the race and run it well with me. We've got one more video, and then we're going to pray.
wonder how many of us uh, tonight, if we were honest, uh, we feel maybe like the last several years have been like that runner. You felt ready. You felt like, man, I'm running it, Jesus. I'm running it, Father, like you've called me to. And, you know, something happens. You get hurt, situation. And, you know, the finish line seems really, really far away. And you feel alone, like that runner, everybody else has gone on past you. Saying, I can't make it. And then you realize and you sense somebody's there. You know, and it's the father. He's actually, he's actually been there the whole time. He's watching. He was with you. And as the father can only do, he, he puts your, his arms around you and he just whispers in the father voice like, I got you. I got you. And then the I got you turns into, we got this. We got this. We got this. And as only our father can do when other people come around and they want to take advantage of us in the situation or they want to ridicule or they don't understand, he lovingly protects us in our moments of weakness, in our moments of vulnerability, in our moments we're just so scared. He's like, no, stay away. It's just me and my daughter, just me and my son. And after you get past the finish line of that race, he says, it's okay. We got more races, more victories ahead of us. Tonight, the Father is saying that to all of us. There's a lot more victories coming up, a lot more wins a lot more incredible moments with the Father of training and running with him. Do you know how close we're going to be with the Father when we get to run this race and run it like he, like that's the thing. We think we're giving up to lose, but we're, we're giving up, we're disciplining, we're training to actually win, to go so much further with him and our relationship and the things that he's promised us. It's coming. It's coming for us if we will believe tonight. Close your eyes and bow your heads. And Holy Spirit, we come to you tonight and we ask that you would give us, first of all, you would open up our eyes to see. Holy Spirit, open up our, our eyes. Only that you can do to, to be able to see. To be able to see the, the sins that so easily entangle the weights that beset, the things that, that are just not beneficial, that are obstacles that have just stood in the way, whether we willingly or unwillingly, that are in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask right now that you would bring those to our mind. Jesus, we thank you that in Hebrews it says very clearly, that you are with us, that you have been the greatest example of running this race, that you are the author and finisher of our faith, that you are the sustainer of all that we need, and that the work on the cross has the final word, that it's final. And so tonight, Holy Spirit has helped illuminate, will continue sins and things that weigh us down. But Jesus, we come to you and we ask you for forgiveness. We say, we're sorry, we, we, we're, 
we miss the mark. We want so much more. And so, Jesus, we readily receive the forgiveness for our sins that is ours because of what you did on the cross. We thank you that the blood has washed away. What can wash away? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's all we need. And so we thank you. We celebrate that, and we thank you that it's done. And we move forward in healing. We move forward in victory. Now, Father, we ask you that you would just give us a picture of what our race is right now, of what is our, what's our calling, what's our destiny, what's our purpose. And maybe you've already done that for some of us, and I just pray you would just breathe, breathe upon it, Lord. Make it so, so much more vivid and bright and real and alive in our minds. And for those of us that have maybe failed to believe or stopped believing, would you rekindle that fire right now tonight? That there is a race that you have for us and there's a purpose and a destiny attached to it. And so would you give us a picture of that tonight, Father? Father, we realize that to embrace this purpose and destiny, but we've got to chuck it. So we're going we're gonna to keep just chucking things off. As you, if you illuminate it, we're chucking it away. Thank you that sometimes some of them are heavy, so we're going to need you to help us do some of the lifting. Thank you that you're going to help us chuck them. Like, we get to do it with you. It's more fun to throw things away with you anyways. So thank you, Father, that we get to chuck off the weights in our lives. Bring us, God, witnesses that we need. Oh, Lord, please, bring us people who will support us in our race, will walk with us when we're hurt, will cheer us on when we're healthy and sprinting, will help coach us. Lord, we ask for coaches, mentors, Father, older men and women, younger men and women who can help coach us in this race of life. And then tonight, we celebrate this new freedom, this new light, and this victory that we get to embrace. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.